This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. It's another hour to play with here on this Sunday morning. Got a little golf on the TV. Uh, we got some football coming up this week right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. The Hall of Fame game for the Jets and the Cleveland Browns. First preseason game of the NFL season. The Jets will have the extra preseason game this year because of the Hall of Fame game participation against Cleveland. So that's coming up this Thursday night. You can hear it right here uh, as well. Big weekend for the Jets. Darrell Revis going into the Hall of Fame. Joe Klecko going into the Hall of Fame. Hard Knocks, obviously, uh, is a presence. I mean, it really does. The start of this NFL season really does have a significant Jets feel, and it's all good. And uh, we have a significant Jets feel as well because uh, DPH1 Rothenberg were out in Florham Park, New Jersey, on Friday doing their show there for the uh, second full day of practice for the Jets during their training camp. And uh, a whole host of guests, including the uh, the headliner of the season and the reason why there is such a distinct Jets feel as we begin this NFL season, Aaron Rodgers. So let's hear a little of their conversation. Uh, look, Rodgers, two years ago, was the MVP of the league. The year before that, he was the MVP of the league. And last year, it just seemed like things got stale for him and for Green Bay. It happens in sports. I think if you followed Rodgers' career, you realize that he is a brilliant player. Uh, he's a four-time most valuable player. He's going to go down as one of the all-time greats. But, you know, from afar, he never seemed like the easiest guy in the world to deal with. So, inevitably, when that happens, there is a need for a change. And there is time for a change. And that time appears to have come between Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers. It's to the Jets' benefit. Um, but was a change in scenery needed for Rodgers to rejuvenate his love for the game? This has definitely rejuvenated me, and, and you know I'm excited to be in a new spot, excited, excited to meet the new guys, and, and just to be around it all. I think there's something really special about being in an organization for that long. There's very few people. I wanted to be one of those iconic players like the Tim Duncans and the Jeters yep. and, uh, and the Kobe's of the world who played for one team for all their career. It's very rare, though. You know, look at a lot of the great players in our sport all kind of played other spots. You know, Tom finished up somewhere else. Peyton finished up somewhere else. Drew was able to stay in the Saints forever, but he was in San Diego first. You know, yep. so not many guys who were able to start and finish with their career and definitely not more than, you know, 15, 16, 17 years, you know, where I'm at 19. So this was a great opportunity for me. It is fun uh, to just have everything so new because there's new people to meet. There's new places to go. Like, I have really enjoyed the city, like just being able to go out to restaurants and concerts and MSG. And, you know, you got so many sporting events. That's been really fun for me. Uh, as much uh, as I love Green Bay and you know have so much affection for that place, it's a bit slower. Yeah, yeah it's a bit slower. Sorry, I jumped the gun, by the way, as well. The the first Jets preseason game is a week from Thursday, August 3rd. I'm, I'm excited for it to be here, but it's Thursday, August 3rd, the Hall of Fame game from Canton, Ohio. You can still hear it here on ESPN New York. So, you know, look, we saw Rodgers out and about during the uh, Knicks playoffs, during the Rangers playoffs, really enjoying his new environment. But how long is it going to be, his environment? Because uh, – the big question surrounding Rodgers as he nears the end of his career, as he nears 40 years of age, is how long can Rodgers see himself playing with the Jets? You know, the Jets gave up a lot for me. So, you know, to just play one year I think would be a disservice. Now, if that one year turns out to be a magical year, who knows? But it's more than that, it's how my body feels. And I've made some changes this offseason with some, uh, you know, some uh, training and, uh, and diet. You know, haven't eaten a lot of bananas or, or 
fruit in a while or anything processed. I've been kind of just sticking to a lot of protein and fats, and I feel body feels good, joints feel good. Changed up some training regimen stuff with my incredible trainers out west and uh, and in Austin, and you know, body feels really really good. I feel like I'm in a good spot. As you get older, it's sometimes you wake up in the morning, you're thinking, man, why does this hurt? Why does my knee hurt? Why does my shoulder hurt? But uh, the last uh, couple months, my body's been feeling really good. Now, talk to me in three, four months. We'll see how it feels. But the way I feel now, you know, I think I could, I think I could play a number of years. I think it's great that he addressed that before the start of the season. I think it's great that he addressed it in that fashion because if this was a one-year deal, and look, he mentioned if they go on a magic carpet ride, and that obviously would mean winning a Super Bowl, then that's a completely different situation. But if this is a one-year situation, then, you know, where would the Jets be 12 months from now? And I know that's not the immediate concern right now, but I always felt from the beginning. And, and look, I didn't think it was going to be a one-year situation with Rodgers, but he has been, you know, moody, prickly, unpredictable throughout his career. Again, ever since he came to New York, whether – uh, dealing with the media, his conversation on the K show, his conversation with Rick and Dave on Friday morning. He has said all the right things. He has hit all the right notes. Look, we're in the middle of the honeymoon period. You hope that that continues. And the best way for that to continue is that the team plays well. And I don't see any indication why they shouldn't. You know, they were a really good team last year. They were 7-4. and four. They were on their way to the playoffs. They were missing one thing. They were missing competent play at the most important position. And they got more than competent play at the most important position. They have an all-time great playing now at the most important position. But they brought in a lot of new guys. And uh, this cast of characters in the receivers room, that'll be interesting to see who's still there week one, who's still there week five. Whether it was you know Randall Cobb, Alan Lazard, Nicole um, Hardman to add to obviously a receiving group led by Garrett Wilson. Corey Davis is still here. Denzel Mims is finally gone. The Jets having traded him late last week. But McCole Hardman, who has had some winning moments with the Kansas City Chiefs, is an interesting new addition. So he's with Rodgers now, obviously spent the prior part of his career playing with Patrick Mahomes. And Hardman chatted with Rick and Dave on Friday and was asked to compare Rodgers and Mahomes. I guess Andrew's been in the league uh, a lot longer, so he's more, like, I guess you said experienced. He know a little bit more. You know, Pat, he's still, um, you know, I think he's going to his, what, seventh year, I believe, something like that. So he got some time to, you know, get to Aaron level just as far as the, the experience-wise. But other than that, I mean, they're both, you know, phenomenal quarterbacks. Now, Hardman coming from Kansas City, where the expectations every year are what the Jets are starting to experience this year. Go to the playoffs, make a deep playoff run, maybe even compete for championships. The expectations for the last five years in Kansas City with Patrick Mahomes have been as sky high as anywhere in the NFL. So Hardman's used to that. So does he hear all of the outside noise surrounding his new team, the Jets? I mean, I guess I guess you hear, obviously, you know, uh, social media shows a lot. Um, you see it on, on the Internet and people talk about it. But, I mean, honestly, I, I guess it's just because of, you know, you know what the, the, the organization is doing by bringing the right pieces in and, and I guess doing the right thing. So, you know, I guess everything we're doing is the right thing because, you know, people are talking about us. But as far as the team, I don't think we really, you know, pay attention to that. We just, you know, just work every day and do what we need to do. And then when it's time to come to play, we should be ready. And I know we spoke about the Saquon Barkley situation with the Giants last hour, but that's just such a huge topic of conversation 
throughout the league. And it's not just Barkley. Josh Jacobs of the Raiders is in the exact same boat. He actually had a better season last year than Saquon Barkley did, although I would argue that Barkley was more important to his team's success because the Giants actually had success last year, unlike the Vegas Raiders. Um, Tony Pollard, the Dallas Cowboys, was unable to come to a long-term agreement with them. This is just where the league is going right now. And I do think everything is cyclical, and at some point it will swing back in the direction of the running backs, but it's not going to swing back you know, during the career of Saquon Barkley. But Hardman was asked about that, and the idea that running backs are quote-unquote expendable, and here are Hardman's thoughts on that. I feel like, in a sense, it's just like they're holding them back and like, oh, yeah, prove it. Keep proving it. And it's like, I mean, what I got to prove? I got three yard, three years. I done had over 1,000 yards. I've set y'all franchise record for this and that. It's like I should get paid. And they're not asking for 20, 20 a year. You know, it's, you know, they're not asking for 25 a year. It's like, you know, they want 10 a year, 12 a year, you know, even like 13 a year. Christian McCaffrey got, what, 16 a 16 year? 16, yeah. So it's like the market is definitely way higher than it was three years ago. And, you know, and it's like I feel like it's based on, like, what team they're on and what team is, is the value they running back. I feel like running backs get paid because they have a hard position. They got a block. You know, they got to run every down between the trenches between these guys. Yeah, have you seen the D linemen and stuff in, in, the, in the NFL? They are huge, running yeah. four fours. And, like, it's crazy. Like, so it's like those guys really, you know, they put in a lot of work and they get hit every play. Like, they're kind of like a, a lineman. Like, it's not a play they don't get hit besides, you know, unless they run like a little check down or something, you know, they don't get the ball. But uh, I think they should get paid, honestly. I mean, yeah, it's easy to say that running backs should get paid, of course. I mean, he's got teammates who are running backs. He shares a locker room with guys who are running backs. So that's what you would expect him to say. It's just a little interesting to hear the perspective of someone who plays a different position, one that is more highly valued by NFL front offices. But I, I love the, you know, the one name that you continue to hear, whether it's from callers or fans or other players or former players, the one name that you continue to hear, well, so-and-so got paid, is Christian McCaffrey. And I just don't think that that's an apt comparison. First of all, I don't think it's an apt comparison with any player because when McCaffrey signed his contract with the Carolina Panthers, it was two or three years ago. And within two years, it was clear that the Panthers weren't going in a direction that they needed somebody at that price tag at that position. So what did they do? They traded the contract. So even they admitted that. They didn't value Christian McCaffrey, who's better than Saquon Barkley when healthy. If you saw what McCaffrey did with San Francisco last year, he's better at that position than anyone in the NFL only because of what he can do in the running game and what he can do in the passing game. Now, he's not markedly better, but he hit the market at just the right time before it came back down. And he was, by the way, one of the reasons why it came back down. Because here's a guy who's a terrific player, but he's flawed. He's flawed in the fact that he doesn't always stay healthy and he's not always available to his teams. And now it's starting to come back down. Nick Chubb got paid too. He hit the market at the right time. You know, and Saquon has to hold some responsibility in all of this. And the one thing that has not been reported, when the Giants and Barkley were negotiating during last regular season, and during the bye week, the Giants offered him a contract extension that, as we know, he turned down. And the reports say that it was for $14 million a year. But I would love to know what the guaranteed money for that contract offer was because I, as far as I know, that has not been reported. What the guarantee, We know there were reports what the guaranteed money for 
this most recent round of negotiations, the offer from the Giants was in the neighborhood of $19.5 million, which Barkley did not want to accept. $14 million a year doesn't really tell you anything in the NFL as a running back or really any position. It's all about the guaranteed money. So that contract that Barkley turned down, it seems like a bad decision in hindsight. But before I you know, firmly say it was a bad decision, I would love to know what the guaranteed money is or was on that that he turned down. But I, I just think from my perspective, as brilliant as Barkley is reading defenses, I think he misread this situation up until the last up until the last dead the, the, the deadline passed, the last minute before the deadline on Monday. I just think he misread this situation. You know, it's unfortunate, but the best case scenario I can see for Saquon Barkley is he plays this season. He has a similar year that he did last year, a similar impact on the Giants that he did last year, and then he gets to the end of the season, and where does that put him? The Giants can franchise him one more time. Now, if they do, it would be $12.2 million in that neighborhood. So you go 12.2 plus 10.1 from this year, $22.3 million over the two years. But he would have gotten it in two separate pieces, and he would have had to earn the second part of that. The Giants are basically saying, for those extra $2.5 million, I need you to earn it. What I'm saying is, if it is $2.5 million, I would have factored everything else in. Uh, his importance to Daniel Jones, his importance to the Giants offense, his standing in the Giants locker room. And I do think that who Barkley has been as a person off the field, as a representative of the franchise, I think all of those are worth something. Now, I don't think they're worth, you know, $10 million. But for somebody like Barkley... Are those things worth a million and a half dollars? I personally think they are, all right? The Giants did not seem to see it that way. And that's where we are right now. I know a few more people want to get in on this. We'll take a quick break. Uh, we'll update you on the Open Championship. Brian Harmon hanging on for now, halfway through his final round, nine holes away from his first major. Love having big-time golf on in the morning on a beautiful Sunday morning in New York City. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. Let's go back to the phones. We, we started the hour talking about the Jets, but thanks to Nicole Hardman's uh, comment on the running backs, it swung back over to the Saquon Barkley situation. Let's go to Jay in Brooklyn who wants to weigh in. Good morning, Jay. Grant Rosen, how you doing, sir? How's everything going today? Very well. How are you? I'm great, man. Another day outside, being able to enjoy some of this good weather. Fine. Cannot complain. Cannot complain. Yep. Um, I just wanted to talk about fairness. And the reason why I say fairness is because these young men have put their body through rigorous training, through certain, uh, through certain uh, degrees, and things of that nature, and they get to a point where their body kind of runs out on them, right? Because they come out probably 21, 23 if you're reclass, and yep. by that time, your body has taken on so much hits and things of that nature. And it was a gentleman on SiriusXM who said, Carrington Harrison, who, Carrington Harrison, who said that 
he thinks that it should be an exception when it comes to running backs in regards to them um, basically coming out. And I beg to differ on that because you've got to really develop. Like, like being in football is different than being a MLB and being a, uh, a overall basketball player. But I would ask the NFL to actually look at an exception where we can get these young men either paid when they first come into the league, if they're up within the one or second round, or find a way that they can get their money's worth. Because look at all these running backs who are all looking for contracts. They all got flat tires or some type of little hiccup within their motors. So I think what they need to do is find a way, find a solution where you can utilize their youth at a young age and let them get a better bang for their buck and allow for it to be fair. But for for them to go through so much hitting and all this pressure and, 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 and being the corner piece of the team, because the last I look, you know, teams that won the Super Bowl, that stretch, you need a running back. You need a Leonard Fournette. You even need little key pieces like the young man from Kansas City Chiefs who came from uh, Rutgers University. Make yeah. a long story short, you need it. You need it, and you need it, and it's very important. And I don't want no one to make the NFL take the running back and make it the center position of the NBA. That's all hey, I have to say. Thanks Love for you the much. call, man. Peace. Yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks. Um, you know, a couple things with that. You know, I, I think this is a relatively new phenomenon, and I think – in, in three years or in five years, there's a very good chance we're going to look back on this offseason, what happened not only to Saquon Barkley, but to Josh Jacobs as well, who led the NFL in rushing last year, and look at this as a tipping point for this position. Um, this is relatively new. The caller raises some good points, points that I discussed during the week with Bart, um, who obviously has a different and a closer perspective to this, having been a longtime NFL player than I do. Um, you have to look at the running back position differently now. You have to look at all of the hits that they take before they get to the NFL. The fact that they have to wait three years until their high school class is their graduating class of high school is out of high school until they become eligible to be in the NFL draft. Well, if these guys, I mean, Barkley's 25 years old. And he's already considered, you know, quote-unquote expendable. 25 years old in his fifth year in the league. If that's going to happen to these guys at 25, why are they wasting these hits and that wear and tear for three years in college? You know, what's was a new phenomenon five or six years ago that is continuing to gain steam? You don't like it if you're a college football fan, but sitting out bowl games. And Christian McCaffrey, who is – has been a big part of this conversation with Saquon Barkley. He was one of the first really well-known players to skip a bowl game when he was a Heisman finalist at Stanford. Why would you risk? There's so much at risk right now, and you have prepared your entire life, in Barkley's case, in Christian McCaffrey's case, in Dalvin Cook's case, and all of these guys' cases. You've prepared your entire life for this situation and to try to maximize your value. Why would you waste it on or put yourself at risk of wasting it before you even get to cash in. And then the other part is this. Should running backs be exempt from being franchised? Although, here's the thing with that. I don't know that that would make a huge difference. Because in this case, 
What I would love to find out right now is if Saquon, and he can't because when the, you, the Giants put the franchise tag on Saquon Barkley, so he can't go anywhere. He's not a free agent. He can only sit out or sign the franchise tag and play for $10.1 million, okay? But I would love to see if Barkley was available this offseason on the open market. I would love to see what he would get. I honestly don't think he would get what he thinks he would get. And then next year, I, and again, I don't know how Barkley, and I don't even know if he's thought this far ahead. He and his team have thought this far ahead. I would love to know what, in his mind, the end game is for after this year. I assume the plan includes returning to play for the Giants at some point in September so he can earn his full $10.1 million this year. But beyond this year, what's the plan? Because the Giants can franchise him a second time. But yeah, the caller's right. It's not fair, which is why the word that I continue to use is unfortunate. And I'm sorry to you know say it this way, but like life is not fair for everyone. You know, the guy who's the Saquon Barkley type athlete who's 12 years old now and trying to figure out what position he's going to play in football, he'd be foolish to continue as a running back. Be a cornerback, be a quarterback, or be a wide receiver. Because those are the guys who get paid. With the running backs, the business model seems to be run these dudes into the ground for four years, get as much as you can out of them, and then you move on to some fresh legs. Doesn't mean it's fair. Doesn't mean it's right. Life ain't always fair. Let's go to Chris in New York. Hey, Chris. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So... <clears throat> You know what it is? You're right about the whole point, but there's got to be some exceptions when you come with these. You know, one, this is like a once-in-a-lifetime running back. You know, the Ed McCaffrey thing, he got his money. Um, he has a great team around him. Who did Barkley have last year? They had you know, I don't know. I don't know one player on the team. Those receivers and the, and the tight ends were... Yeah, he was the team. I never team. heard of one of those guys. He was the team. He was the offense last year. No right. question so about it. So imagine, imagine putting a team around him. The defense will not be focused totally on Barkley. He's going to have a better year. Well, that's that's the hope. I mean, the, the Giants want to pay him to do that this year. They want to pay him $10.1 million. The ball is now in his court whether or not he's going to show up for them to, to do that. But that's $6 million less than McCaffrey. The, the finances have changed. If McCaffrey was available right now, Chris, he wouldn't get that same contract. Nobody's getting that unless things change dramatically. Right. That's just yeah, how it is. The, mar the market has definitely changed. The market has changed. Markets but, change. But well, this is like a once in a life. If you, if you go with a running back committee, I'm telling you, it's, it, it's not going to work. Those guys will be hurt, and then you'll be uh, Matt Breida, James Robinson. They're not the answer. No, they're not. Gonna be a, it's going to be a wasted season. Uh, I agree with that, Chris. Uh, I still think thank that, you. Thank, thank you for the call. call. I, I still think that the end result here is that Saquon plays this year, and it's not a wasted season. Another big question I have is going forward, is there irreparable damage between Barkley and the Giants organization? I don't think there should be because this is not, again, this is not the Giants operating independently of the rest of the league. The rest, the entire NFL views running backs the same way, which is why I said earlier, like I would love to see what Barkley 
would be worth on the open market this year if he was an unrestricted free agent? We'll never know. And, you know, even if he does become an unrestricted free agent either next offseason or the one after that, he's going to be older with more tread on his tires. So it's not even an apples-to-apples comparison. It's an unfortunate situation. No other way to put it. No other way for me to put it. Wordsmith that I am. All right, we'll have more on this and uh, get you set for the day in baseball as we continue on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. You got to know. Giants early season schedule, not exactly a bear. Open on Sunday night, the 10th of September against the Cowboys at home. And they're at the Cardinals, at the 49ers. And back home for the Seahawks on Monday night football on October 2nd. And they go to the Dolphins. So how many of those games will Saquon Barkley play? And, uh, you know, you look at the Seahawks game and you look at the Cardinals game for sure. You know, I think you should at least start the season with or without Saquon Barkley. You should at least start the season two and two through those first four games and see where you go from there. Let's go to Manny and Flushing. Manny, how you doing today? Doing well, man. Doing well, my man. How you doing, sir? I'm good. Thanks for the call. What's going on? Good. Um, not much. Listen, look, I understand where Saquon's coming from, but I also understand where the NFL is coming from, too, because, listen, at the end of the day, the NFL don't really care about running backs or Wonderbacks over 25 and above because we've seen recent years, we've seen Wonderbacks over 25 really diminish. I mean, for example, Todd Gurley and um, recently uh, Ezekiel Elliott, who's now trying to find another team, and even um, less a degree of uh, Le'Veon Bell. And I just don't think when it's not one of those guys, not one of those players. And I get where Sigmund's perspective because, like, hey, I was the one who helped, I was there when y'all were struggling. I was there when y'all won like three or four games the year before I arrived. We had some bumps and rows, but then last year when I was fully healthy, I got to the playoffs and won a playoff game, something you hadn't had since Super Bowl 46. It's, it's, it's a complicated situation. I hope the Giants and Shake will be patching up. And I, and I, I was surprised that you said that he has one year left and he's got next offseason he's going to be a free agent. And I just hope that he gets his deal done. Well, what I said, Manny, and thanks to the call, next offseason, the Giants have the option to use the franchise tag on him again. You can use it twice on any player. After that, I uh, either have to sign him to a contract or they become a free agent. Well, they become a free agent. That's basically what I'm saying there. So, yeah, next offseason, if, if he plays well, the expectation from me anyway would be that the Giants use the franchise tag on him, which wouldn't be the worst outcome for the Giants or for Saquon Barkley because ultimately – if that were the case, he would have gotten what he wanted this offseason. He just wouldn't have got it and gotten it in the same fashion that he wanted it. But he would have still, in that scenario, been able to get all of the money that he wanted this go-round from the Giants. He would have just had to have sung for his supper this coming season. Let's go to Chris on Long Island. Chris, what's up? Hey, how are you? Um, I'm a, a Raider fan, so Josh Jacobs is really in a very similar boat to uh, to Saquon. And, um, look, I, I love Josh Jacobs, right? But, uh, you know, doesn't the NFLPA negotiate this stuff? Isn't that their responsibility to, to 
make sure these things are fair and all that. It's not how it works. Yeah, well, if you follow this along for the last several years, the landscape yeah. is that the NFLPA continues to be out negotiated during these collective bargaining agreement sessions. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, they, hey, the NFL's tough, man. And the other thing is that, look, I understand we all, like, there's no soul in business. Someone told me that a long time ago, and this is a business. These guys are commodities. and. Yep. These are billionaire, smart NFL owners, and, you know, it's too bad, but yep. it is what it is, man. I think they got they got hurt, Jacobs and Saquon, with their whoever, their agents, because now that, what are they going to do now? So, anyway, I appreciate the conversation. Well, here's the thing. Thanks for the call, Chris. I mean, Saquon is still, he still has the option to play this year for $10 million, and he's still 25, so he's still going to play beyond this year. You know, does he play next year for twelve million? Does he play next year for eight million? That remains to be seen. But um, you know, his his rookie contract, I believe, was was thirty eight million dollars. He was picked second in the draft, so he's made thirty eight million dollars. He's in line to make another ten million dollars this season. Um, twelve million dollars next year. So now we're up to sixty million dollars. So it, it, you know, we're not we're not crying poverty for the guy, but when you compare what he has done with Daniel Jones is the easy comparison because they not only share a locker room, they share a backfield. And Daniel Jones took great strides last year. And, th I mean, this is the epitome of how it's not fair. Daniel Jones took great strides last year. He had one above-average season in his first four years, and he was able to cash that in for $80 million guaranteed because of the position that he plays. And it's not lost on anybody that the biggest reason why Daniel Jones was successful last season, the biggest reason, was Saquon Barkley. Barkley was the biggest reason. Brian Dayball was the second biggest reason. Hands down. Daniel Jones himself was probably the third biggest reason. But because of the position he plays, he was able to cash in to the tune of $80 million, $82 million guaranteed. And because of the position Saquon plays... $10.1 million guaranteed. The Red Sox were really good at this. To swing it back over to baseball, when the Red Sox finally broke through in 2004 and won their first World Series since 1918, and then they won again in 2007, they won again in 2013, and they won in 2018. All right, so that's four World Series championships for the Red Sox in the last 20 years. It's got to be the most in baseball off the top of my head. I can't think of another franchise that has done that. All right. What the Red Sox were really good at is getting rid of a guy too early as opposed to getting rid of a guy too late. And there were a couple of key guys that were part of those championship runs for the Red Sox. One of them was Johnny Damon. I mean, Johnny Damon was a central figure of the Red Sox world championship in 2004 and the comeback against the Yankees and the whole thing. He had the long hair. They called themselves the idiots. And then he played in 2005 and then he was a free agent and the Red Sox didn't want to pay him because they thought that yes, maybe in 2006 he would still play at a high level, but they didn't want to pay him for four years for production that he had already given them. So who signed him? The Yankees signed him. And over the course of the contract, it probably now, the one thing about the Damon contract with the Yankees, he did win the World Series in 2009. So, 
But up until then, that contract did not age well. The Yankees did not get the Yankees were basically paying Johnny Damon for the production that he put forth as a member of the Boston Red Sox. And the Red Sox then did it again a couple of years later with Kevin Euclid. You know, Euclid for a brief stretch was an all-star first baseman. He was an on-base machine for the Red Sox. I guess he would have been part of the 07 World Series championship. And the um Red Sox when his contract came up. The Red Sox moved on from him. The Yankees scooped him up too, and they paid him a year's salary to play about two weeks worth of baseball. That's what this is. You 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 can't pay. Paying players for past performance is a recipe for failure in professional sports, in any sport. And the NBA took a long time to learn that. You know, Isaiah Thomas, his entire tenure as the Knicks general manager was based on paying players for past performance that they had done with other teams. And what Joe Shane is doing now is he's saying, no, I'm, I, you're a great guy. You're a great player. You were great for us last year, but I'm not paying you in the future for what you have already done. I want to pay you in the future for what you're going to do. And we're going to go on a year-by-year basis, and you're going to have to prove it each and every year. The opportunity to get paid is still there. It's just not the same as other positions, defensive linemen, offensive tackles, cornerbacks, and, of course, quarterbacks. we got a few more minutes to play with, and then I'll hand things over to Larry Hardesty at the top of the hour. we got the Open Championship moving along. Uh, Brian Harmon is moving closer to hoisting the Claret Jug. Yankees looking for a sweep this afternoon, and the Mets tonight trying to uh, keep their tenuous grasp on the periphery of the National League wild card race here on 98.7 ESPN New York. This is the Pat O'Keefe Show on 98.7 ESPN. So Brian Harmon is in the exact same place as he was at the start of the day. 12 under par and a five-stroke lead. There's now a tie for second place between Tom Kim who's minus four today, and Sepp Straka, who's minus two. But they're both five shots back. Harmon's at minus 12, and he is through 11 holes. So I hate to even uh, invoke this phrase, but uh, it would, at this point, take a Van Develdian collapse by Brian Harmon to not capture his first-ever major championship. Yankees-Royals, 130 at the stadium. A couple roster moves for the Yankees. They have reactivated Greg Allen who's been on the injured list since before the All-Star break. Jake Bowers is also back. Bowers is in the starting lineup today. Franchi Cordero has been sent back down to AAA, and after yesterday's game, the Yankees sent down Oswaldo Cabrera. The lineup today, Bowers leads off in right field. Glaber Torres at second. The red-hot Giancarlo, well, the hot Giancarlo Stanton at DH. Anthony Rizzo at first base. DJ LeMahieu bats fifth. He's at third. Harrison Bader in center. Billy McKinney in left. Oswald Peraza at short with Volpe getting the day off. And Kyle Higashioka behind the plate. Luis Severino on the mound. His last start in Anaheim was very good. So we'll see if he can build off of that. I mentioned Giancarlo Stanton. His last 10 games, six home runs and 13 runs batted in. That's hot. You might say that's red hot as well. His OPS during that time has gone from 656 to 732. Um, So the Yankees looking to sweep the Royals. 
in this three-game series. A day off for both local teams tomorrow. Uh, the Yankees and the Mets will play the second leg of the Subway Series Tuesday and Wednesday in the Bronx. Tuesday's pitching matchup, Justin Verlander against Domingo Herman. And then on Wednesday, you have the two injured free agent signees, Jose Quintana and Carlos Rodon. We'll keep an eye on the reception Rodon receives from the Yankee Stadium crowd on Wednesday. It'll be his first time on the mound since blowing a kiss to some agitated Yankee fans in Anaheim during his last start. I don't think, I'll just say this, I don't think it's in anybody's interest. Not Rodon's, and fans will probably say, who cares about him? And you're right, but specifically about the Yankees. If you're a Yankee fan, um, this guy has already shown that he is thin-skinned. I think that's pretty clear. He's also a guy that's on a five-year, $162 million contract. Uh, I did appreciate his reaction and fessing up to the mistake that he made by blowing a kiss to the fans sarcastically. So I don't think it's in anybody's interest to continue to remind him of this because from what I've seen, and we've seen a lot of guys in recent years in the Bronx who have had trouble playing in front of the home fans when they draw the ire of the fans. Aaron Hicks, and he's now gone. Joey Gallo, he's now gone. Josh Donaldson, he's now gone. Those were all guys that the Yankees were counting on to be productive, and none of them were. So I don't think it's in anybody's interest to, you know, wage war on Carlos Rodon. You hope that he was sincere in fessing up to his mistake and that he can move on because that's in the best interest of the team and it's in the best interest of the Yankee fans because they want their team to perform well. Uh, so that's the Yankees uh, this afternoon. The Mets are tonight and they're looking to wrap up a series victory, a three-game series victory at Fenway Park against the Red Sox. Um, Carlos Carrasco's on the mound, has had a rough season up and down. He's 3-3 three and three with a 5.35. Brennan Bernardino, who's got pretty good numbers for the Red Sox, the 31-year-old uh, left-hander, gets the start for Boston in Fenway Park. That's the ESPN game, 7 o'clock first pitch. You can hear it right here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Pat Regazzo hopped on last hour, thanks to him, the Mets beat writer for SI.com. Uh, to break things down for the Mets, eight days out from the Major League Baseball trade deadline. So it's an important week for both the Yankees and the Mets, but especially the Mets, because the Yankees are going to hit the trade deadline still in the wild card race in the American League. For the Mets, there's a very good chance that they're not going to be in it by the deadline. So what will they do? Thanks also to all the callers. Uh, John Miscari in our golf hour uh, from Alpine Country Club breaking down the Open Championship. Uh, Tom Bauer and Julian Kushnick, great job by you producing the show. Larry Hardesty coming up next. Have a great rest of your Sunday, everyone.